0: Hey, what's going on, people? Hope that your Sunday is a blessed one. Today is Sunday, November the 19th, and there's been a lot of discussion. Well, for those of you who are in the church and keep maybe a pulse of what's going on in the uh, evangelical community, most People perhaps are aware that a very uh, famous um, person in the church, uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson, is dying of cancer and probably doesn't have much time to live, which is a very uh, sad thing. And for those of you who know his story or know his his, uh, teaching, he years, probably for nearly twenty years, has taught what he calls the doctrine of inclusion. And the main focus of that doctrine is that everybody goes to heaven. There is no hell. That's a that's a myth. It's um, I guess a man made construct and you know the idea behind saying that and preaching that is that a loving god would not be as so cruel and so heartless to send people to hell and so i need to ask the question is that true? Is there a doctrine of inclusion? Or, I mean, another way to say that is universalism. Universalism, which simply states that everybody, when they die, they'll go to heaven. So there's some strong implications that have to be brought out that I want to explore if hell is not a literal non-resting place for those who die in their unforgiven sin. There's some implications that we need to talk about, okay? So let me start with that. And by the way, I've written a new article that I'm going to include as a link to this podcast episode in relation to hell and the and the name of the, or the title of the article and the title of this podcast is if there is no hell you know dot 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 so let me go over a couple of implications if there's no hell where did the countless souls go to when they died in their sins When they rejected Christ, where do they go if there's no hell? Where do those souls go to? Here's implication number two that I want to have you consider. If there's no hell, why should we believe there is a heaven? All right. I'm going to repeat that one. If there's no hell, why should we believe there is a literal heaven? Okay. Here's another one. If there is no hell, what is the purpose of the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 20? Okay, let me give you another one that's real important and I'll stop. If there is no hell, there can be no doctrine of sin. If there is no hell, there is no sin either because we're all good if you exclude the reality of a literal hell the the people teaching this doctrine is absolutely tragic so as much as it is painful to witness the deterioration of uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson his doctrine sadly and tragically has misled probably countless thousands of people. And he's not the only one. He's not the only one. I just heard of a a gentleman yesterday after watching a video clip, actually today, I heard about him, I believe yesterday, which was the 18th, he had a discussion His name is Tim Rogers, and he had a discussion with another pastor by the name of E. Dewey Smith. These two men I'd never heard of before ever until yesterday. They had a discussion, and they also believe or concur and teach that there is no literal hell, that hell basically is based on bad choices that we make in this time, in space. In other words, we create our own hell based on bad choices that we make. So hell is here on earth. We're we're all going through our own personal hell right now. So hell to them is, I guess, a state of mind. It's It's perhaps allegory. And, like I just mentioned, that if there is no hell, then why teach a doctrine of sin? because if there's no hell, <laughs> there's no sin. you can do whatever you want because it's all to the good, based on their theology, because when you die, you'll go to heaven but i <laughs> you know if if I'm going to believe in their logic, then I'm going to believe that the I'm going to think in what I will call a symmetrical way instead of an asymmetrical way. An asymmetrical way is that you are believing in a heaven, but you're not believing in a hell. So, my thing is if I'm thinking symmetrically, then I'm going to believe there's either a heaven and a hell, or there's neither a heaven. Or, you know, and a, and a hell. You follow what I'm saying? It's not going to be uh, one and not the other, but it's going to be both and, if that makes sense. So either there's a heaven and a hell, or there's not a heaven and a hell. There's not a heaven and not a hell. It just doesn't make any sense. So, but the thing that we always have to do, and the thing that I'll always we'll do as long as i'm able to have this type of a platform where i can speak on god's word is we have to go to the word of god what does the word of god have to say about man what does what, what does what does god's word say about man is he good or is he evil let me run some scriptures by you to to find that out. And this won't take long. It's, let's start with Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. That's a lot. I'm going to read it again. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. The late teacher and biblical expositor, Dr. R.C. Sproul, he said that is what is called a universal negative because it says there's none righteous. No, no one. In other words, everybody fits into that negative category, meaning that there is no one that is righteous. It is a universal negative. In other words, (laughs) it is worldwide. Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter six Isaiah chapter sixty four verse six, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. And uh, the last one I'll, I'll mention is John chapter three verse nineteen, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, Men love darkness rather than light. And I'm asking the question, why? Here's the answer. Because his deeds are evil. So, whose report? My friend, will you believe? Are you going to believe evil man's report and unfaithful, cowardly shepherds who won't teach the whole counsel of God? Or, or are you going to believe The word of God. (laughs) No brainer. I'm casting my vote for the latter. So, the reality is that man is not good. And on top of that, let's think about this from a logical point of view. Since man hates God, why in the world would evil man want to spend? in eternity, with a God that they hate. That doesn't make any sense. There are people that would admittedly say that, (laughs) you know, the God that you Christians worship, you know, I hate that God. I would rather go to hell than to spend eternity with him. And they're going to get their wish. (laughs) God is going to grant them what they want. And that's the way that it simply is. God is not going to force someone into heaven and since they don't want to go to heaven the only other destination for them is hell and hell actually when you read uh, in the book of revelation the bible says it's thrown into the lake of fire which is the second death okay so hell is actually not an everlasting fire the lake of fire is an everlasting fire Let me prove that to you. I'm going to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. This is at the great white throne judgment. I'm going to find that and read it to you. And then you can, if you choose to reference it on your own for clarification, which I encourage you to do. So we're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to go to chapter 20. All right. And we're going to go to, let's see, I'll start with verse 11 and I'll read to the end of the chapter. It says, this is the apostle John speaking. These are, you know, these are um, visions he's seeing of the future according to the time that he lived, which was in the first century AD. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades, or hell, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is, like I said, like it says in, in verse 14, that is the second death. That is the final non resting forever tormented, tormented place for those who die in their sins and what does that mean to die in sin it means you die in an unforgiven state you die without having your sins cleansed and taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ here's another here's another matter that we need to examine if there is no hell then it would have been awfully cruel. I mean, terribly cruel of God the Father to send the Son to die for sinners to escape the wrath of God and go to heaven. If there, if there is no hell, why would He have to come and die? Why would He? Why would He even have to come to the earth to preach repentance and preach and preach the truth of man's uh, depraved? spiritual heart condition. Why go through all that? Why would God send the son to come and die a sinner's death (laughs) when at the end of the day, if you believe in the the doctrine of inclusion or the doctrine of Carlton Pearson, everybody's going to go to heaven anyway. I mean, why send him through all that unnecessary torture, humiliation, pain, and then be impaled on a cross, stripped, totally naked, and mocked, and then die. What's the What was the point of that? Because, like I said, if there's no hell, then you can't teach a doctrine of sin. What's the point? If everybody's going to heaven when they die, if... If the Bible teaches a universalistic type of doctrine, we all get in. We can do whatever we want. You can be a Buddhist. You can be a Hindu. You can be a Satanist. You can be an atheist. You can be a Christian scientist. You can be a Scientologist. You can be a New Ager. You can come from the Unity School of Christianity. You could... You could... um, Practice witchcraft, sorcery, uh, what's that other one? Uh, Nechromacy, I believe it's called. That means praying to the dead. It wouldn't matter because God loves you, you're made in His image, and it's all good. So, the God of these false religions, of course, is the God of the Bible. If you believe in the doctrine of inclusion, is what I'm trying to say is he's been defanged. He has no power. He has no. He, he's he's reduced to basically a. Um, I mean, he might as well be a, a lucky charm or something like that. I mean, he has no power. He has no force. He has no no influence because people have decided that they don't like the God of the Bible because he's too. Fire and brimstone, he's harsh, he's he's been he's constantly called a monster because he won't let us tell him what to do. Because that's basically what man, that's what man wants to do. He wants to tell God what to do, and not God tell him what to do. <laughs> man wants the roles reversed. He wants to be God and he wants God to be man. In other words, man is insistent in always trying to deify himself and wants to humanize God. God's plan, God's ways, man hates. So therefore, I'll just, they'll just choose not to believe in him. And you'll say things like, well, there's no hell. It's not literal. It's a construct. Hell is simply you making bad choices in this time and space that's what hell that's what hell is all about so the fact of the matter is folks hell is real jesus talked on it extensively as a matter of fact i'll go to mark's gospel mark's gospel the ninth chapter and i'll read you some passages uh, I mean, I think three times he mentions hell in just a few verses. Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter. Let's start around verse 42. He says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into the into life maimed rather than having two hands go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay. And then verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. What is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell to the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. All right. And he says it again. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So I read to you Mark chapter 9 verses 42 to 48. So in those seven verses, Jesus mentions hell three times at least. Three times. So... If Jesus taught on hell, and Jesus is the Savior of the world, which both are true, then we would be foolish uh, not to take heed to what God in the flesh, God Almighty, our Lord and Savior, is talking about. So, just some things uh, for a person to think about. But here's the wonderful thing. Hell is real, and there is... One way and one way only to avoid it. That is, repent of sin, put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God can forgive you of your sin and grant you eternal life. In the Old Testament, we read about who God really is. I mean, people say God is a monster, that He's cruel. That he can't be loving because uh, a a loving God would not send someone to hell. And that simply is not true. If you are a rebellious, incorrigible, recalcitrant sinner that refuses to repent, then hell is waiting for you. You're, You're one of hell's most wanted. But if you let the word of God penetrate your soul, then you can avoid hell altogether and God is ready to receive you with open open arms. Let me read you two Old Testament passages from two Old Testament prophets. The first one is in Micah. Let me read Micah chapter 7 verses 18 to 19. It says this, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression of the remnant of his heritage? I love this part. It says He does not retain anger forever because he delights in mercy. This is the God of the Bible, folks. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Here's another one. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 25. Love this one as well. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Listen to this. And I will not remember your sins. It's a wonderful thing when God forgets your sin. So I read to you Micah chapter seven, verses 18 to 19. You're gonna wanna check those out. Keep them in your memory bank. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. So I've given you, true on both both ends negative and positive the negative part of co- course if a person dies in sin because you, you can only die two ways in this in this earth and that, and that and that is the scenario of every human being you can only die two ways you can either die in sin or you can die in Christ that's it if you die in sin that made you die with your sin, having never been atoned for, never forgiven because you refuse to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You refuse to repent of your sin when you were presented with the gospel. And the and the gospel, if it's a correct gospel presentation, is going to mention and demand that the person repent, not because of the messenger, but because of the message that the messenger is bringing to the person that they're talking to. Please understand that. Me, as a messenger, I don't have any power, but the message that I bring has all the power. All right? That's what uh, Paul said. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Okay? So... The bad news is that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all there is none who does good, not one. Now, somebody's you now there are many people that will object to what I just said, and like they'll say, well, Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on, Dale. I've done a lot of good. I've given to cancer research. I've went into Third world countries and, and, and dug deep and, you know, me and people that I've went with, we've dug wells and gotten fresh water. I paid to have, you know, medical supplies sent over to South America and parts of Africa. I've given money to schools. I've helped the homeless here. I've, uh, you know, provided blankets. In food, you know, you know, I've, I've got a lot of resources. I built a shelter, so I've done much good, probably more than most people. And from a human point of view, that's praiseworthy. But here is what a person like that lacks: you still have not. Dealt with your sin problem. Still haven't dealt with it. It's still lingering. Your still your sin still remains on you. What are you gonna do about your sin? So everything that you that a person can mention good that they can do, being kind to their neighbor. You know, uh, helping to build up their neighborhood because it's it's run down. They've 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 you know given money for affordable housing and and um, being able to create some brand new maybe um, apartment complexes in their neighborhood all that is admirable I'm not discounting that that's all great that's wonderful fantastic not everybody has the resources to do that but if you haven't done dealt with your sin problem what will that count that does not get you to heaven, you still will inherit smoke. You still will go to hell. It doesn't matter with God because see, we have to come to God, not on our own terms. We can't offer the sacrifice of Cain because something was wrong with Cain's offering. When you go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter four, you probably recall if you know your old Testament that in the process of time, Cain and Abel came and made offerings to God. Uh, Abel brought the best of his flock, and he he brought the uh you know the lamb and the fat thereof, and God accepted his offering, but Cain came with a different offering, and Cain's offering was rejected. Why? The the text doesn't tell us, but God was not pleased with Cain's offering. So I'm saying that as an illustration to simply say most people are offering the offering of Cain. It was, it's something that God is not going to accept. And what God wants more than anything from sinners, people made in his image, is a broken and contrite and humble spirit If you can't come that way, God is going to reject you because you're saying, God, look at my resume. Look at my credentials. Look at what I've done in the world. Surely, Lord, I'm worthy to enter into the pearly gates, right? Wrong. If you haven't humbled yourself and repented of your sins, and placed your faith, your trust, which is one and the same, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you don't come to the Lord and Lord, save me, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sin. If you don't do that from the heart, and God knows whether you're honest, he knows whether you are authentic or not, you can't fool him. You can fool man, but you can't fool him because he knows you He made it. If you can't come that way, you're not going to be accepted by God. You're going to be rejected. And there is a hell waiting for you. You know, I don't care what people have said that uh, uh, this man uh, by the name of Tim Rogers said that uh, in a a message he did, I guess at a funeral some five years ago, that hell, these, these are his own words, and this is public knowledge. Hell is a fairy tale. It's an imaginary place. And he said, those that believe that have been bamboozled by the church. As a matter of fact, on this episode, I'll put a link to that message that he gave. And I indicated around the minute mark where he made those heretical statements. These are the type of people that are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they are dangerous to the church. They're very dangerous. This is not just a slip of the tongue, folks. This is heretical, diabolical, uh, demonic messages. These are demon-preached messages, folks. And I know I, sound, I know I sound harsh, but if you have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you, you're going to get this right. You're gonna, you have to get this right. You can't be that reckless, and, you know, like a, um, an 18-wheeler going down a hill with no brakes. That's going to be a, a horrific collision. And it's going to cause a lot of damage and destruction when it crashes. And messages like that are like wrecking balls. You know, those big old wrecking balls that, that will demolish an old building and destroy it and bring it to the ground. That's what these messages are like. That's what these wolves in sheep's clothing teach. Folks, people are dying. They're losing their souls. <laughs> but there because a lot of people are are not discerning, they don't study the word of God, they're lazy when it comes to that, they will continue to be Misled, and then they will in turn mislead others, who in turn misleads others. You 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 see the point that I'm trying to drive home. It's a domino effect. So we have to call this these heresies out, and these and and these heretical teachers out. If we love God, and if we love people, not just the people of God, but people that are not even in the church, if we love them, we have to deliver them the truth. Yes, I get it. I understand. Hell is a most uncomfortable thing to discuss because it seems so wrong of God, who we see as a loving and benevolent being, and he is to send people there. We think it's wrong, but here's where we are wrong. This is where people get it wrong. We don't understand two very vital, important things. Let me me tell you what they are. Number one, is we do not understand the holiness of God. That's the first thing. Number two, we don't understand our own depravity. When we come to a understanding, a, what I would call a high understanding of both of these realities, then we can fear God the way that he Demands that man should fear him. Because of our ignorance, we don't fear him. And our arrogance as a human race. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter one, I believe it's verse seven. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here's the negative part, but Fools, basically an airhead, a fool, but a fool despises or hates or loathes wisdom and instruction. I'll read it to you again. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And because we don't understand how holy and majestic and powerful the God of the universe is, in addition to the fact we don't understand our own wretchedness, our own depravity, because we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to because of narcissism and just being plain arrogant, we conclude that... God is not good. God is not good. So, and there are people that would be as arrogant to say that they're better than God. I mean, because God, the way God is and the way, and the way his word is presented is offensive to us. It, it offends our sense of ethics. Like, for instance, like, like man's ethics are, are really ethical. <laughs> they're despicable. They're an abomination of God's sight. So only the power of the word of God, it has to flood and invade the soul to such an extent that it reveals to man how wicked he really is. And until he gets that revelation, until man gets that illumination, he will not look at God the right way and he will continue to deceive himself in thinking that he is better than he actually is. That's the problem we're dealing with. And so my hope and prayer is for those of you who perhaps have been drawn in and hypnotized and bewitched like so many other people that believe that hell is not a literal place that that evil men go to when they die if they have not been forgiven of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, if you are one that believes that, then I pray that you will take this message to heart and that you will open your eyes. And you need to open your eyes quickly, like with the quickness right away. Don't delay it. And for those of us who are in Christ that have the ministry of reconciliation and are and realize that we're ambassadors for Christ, we want to teach on hell and teach the horrors of it. Teach the horrors of it. I mean, I know it sounds harsh and it sounds insensitive. It sounds like, dang, this is just fire and brimstone stuff. If, let me say it like this. If a person doesn't really believe in the horrors of hell that they could end up there if they die having rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. If they don't really believe that, then you know this then what I'm saying, all this I'm saying is it's not gonna move them uh one way or the other. It's not going to even get them to think about, hey, what what if Dell is right? If they don't care, then this this message doesn't matter. I'm just blowing smoke in their ears. They could care less. They're going to continue to do what they do. And then they're going to determine for themselves, by themselves, that they're okay. I'm an okay guy. I'm an okay girl. I'm good to go. I'm, you know, I'm kind to my neighbor. You know, I'll drop a little couple of coins, you know, to the, to the, to the guy that's, that's on the corner, you know, with a sign begging for money. You know, I do that. You know, I'm kind like that. I'm good like that, and so they have acquired a person like that has acquired their own religion. You see what I'm saying? It's called the religion of um, self-achievement. It's the religion of works. It's like you make up in your mind. You've determined. You, you've created. You've created an internal gauge. And in your mind, you have decided that I've done more good than bad. You know, you have this mental scale that you have and you and you look at the and you determine in your mind the scale that, OK, I've done one million five hundred thousand good things in my life. You know, and I'm just using this as an illustration. I've done maybe uh, eight hundred thousand bad things. OK, well, my skills are, are tipped in the right direction. I'll be OK when I die. And this is what um, Paul the apostle said in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine regarding salvation he says um, he says, "For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, salvation is." a gift of God's grace. And grace simply means unmerited or undeserved favor. God is giving to us what we do not deserve. Guess what? Hell is what every human being deserves. Hell is just. Hell is not some uh, just just some, some super out-of-this-world you know, out type of punishment that just the most disgusting vile of sinners like Hitler or Stalin or Mussolini or Margaret Sanger would get. Hell is for, uh, I mean, people that go to hell are, are religious people. People that go to hell are philanthropic. People that go to hell are, are kind, neighborly. Why do they go there? Because they have placed their works righteousness in front of God and say, here, God accept it. And God is going to reject it like he did with Cain way back in the book of Genesis chapter 4. God is the one that determines how we are to come to him. We don't get to determine that for ourselves. And that's the deception that most people have. But when they hear Yet again, about God just being this fire and brimstone, angry monster, Godzilla of a person. They don't have anything to do with that. But what I am trying to explain to you in this discussion is that God desires to save men, not condemn them. Jesus himself said that to Nicodemus. Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter three. All right. This is what he said, and I mean, he said it back, back right after the, rather most famous passage in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. He said, "For God, of course, loved the world that he sent his only, begotten Son, or his one and only Son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life." And then in the very next verse, Jesus said this: "For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might." Be saved. So clearly it is the will of God to save men. That is why he came. But going back to if there's no hell, the title of this discussion, if there's no hell, then Jesus came and taught, did miracles, fed the multitudes, raised the dead, cast out demons, etc., and taught the multitudes. He did all that for nothing, because at the end of the day, <laughs> we can we 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 get a free ride in, because hell hell ain't real. It's literal, or it's an imaginary place. You know, the guy Tim Rogers said, "Hey, if you believe in hell, you might as well also believe in Santa Claus." He said that. I, I, like I said, I'm gonna put a link on this episode, and you can go. And listen to it for yourself. That way you know that I'm not making this up. All right? And I'm going to go ahead and end it here. I could say a whole lot more, but I'm going to go ahead and end it here. Also, put two blog links from my blog of articles I did on hell, two earlier ones. So there's going to be a total of three. And also, I added uh, one more from a uh, site that I, that I frequent called gotquestions.org org gotquestions.org also talks about is hell a real place and then they they give a very good uh, video presentation on that as well all right so grace and peace to you all God bless you and I'll talk to you soon.